Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. The following is paid commercial programming. The content and opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of WSSP, Intercom Milwaukee, its staff, or sponsors. From Lake Michigan to the Mississippi, and every river, lake, and field in between, let's talk everything outdoors. Avon! <laughs> You're on the crazy train! Welcome to the Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. Fasten your seatbelts for a wild ride through Wisconsin's outdoors. Only on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of the Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors, where we come to you every Saturday morning from 6 to 8 a.m. He's Dan Bush. I'm Tom Neubauer. Sam Schmitz is on the boards. Good morning, gentlemen. Oh, and by the way, if anybody wants to get in touch with us on the show, since it is a live show, you can call us at 414-799-1250. That's 799-1250. Okay, good morning, fellas. Uh, good morning, Tom. Good morning. Okay. Oh, there he is. All right. Sorry, my mic was off. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure you weren't napping over there, Sam. <laughs> Sam's Sam's on top of it. Uh, so I'm having a little problem hearing you guys. A uh, little bit of a uh, little bit of distortion. It could be my headphones. So if I ask you to repeat yourself, Tom, it's just a little bit of reception on my end here, buddy. All right, but you sound good. You're you're coming through loud and clear. Yeah, you're doing okay. Good. So anyway, uh, hey Dan, when you when you've been hunting and you know you're the big hunter. Have you ever worried about an animal uh, like a like a deer attacking you after you shot it? Um, you know, I've I I never really worried about a deer attacking me. I huh? I did uh, I did have a fox squirrel mount a rather scary charge one time, but I sort of lived to tell the tale on that one. All right. Well, the reason I bring that up is that in Oregon, or is Oregon? Well, whatever. A bow hunter was killed by an elk that charged him. What happened was he, he shot this elk with a bow and arrow. It was wounded, went out the next day with another fella to go find it. And, yeah, they found it all right. And the elk charged him, attacked him, gored him, and killed him. So now, that was one ticked uh, off elk at this guy. So you yeah, what I, I don't... I don't know. I, I remember now I did read that article, Tom, and I can't remember whether 
it was the owner of the property or the guy who shot the elk that got killed. I think two of them went out looking for it. Well, I got it right here. Let's see now. Uh, let's see. Uh, I oh, guess the landowner searched for the bull and wounded it with a bow, then found it and then charged them. Yeah, it was the owner of the property. Yeah. Owner of the property. Okay. Yeah. And so, then yeah, I was did it say. Do a good deed, and look what happened. <laughs> Did it say that if the landowner had a bow with him? He said he wounded it with a bow. Yeah, but I, I think the hunter wounded it with a bow. I'm I wondering if so. the landowner followed up with a bow himself when he's trying to find it. Yes, the landowner did follow up with a bow, yeah. Huh. Well, yeah, I suppose, so, yeah, even if... Yeah. E even if you can get another shot off, I suppose if the thing's charging you... Um, you, you know, you probably wouldn't stop it with an arrow if it's got the adrenaline going and coming at you. I guess a couple, a couple of things that you probably should do is when you approach a downed animal, um, kind of come, if you can, from out of its, out of its uh, field of vision, try and sneak up on it quietly, and uh, try and look at the stomach and see if the stomach is moving right. to determine whether the thing's breathing or not. Um, I know whenever I get up on an animal, I won't be standing in front of its legs. I'll be back behind it, and I'll reach over its back with my gun barrel and touch its eyeball with my gun barrel just to see if it blinks. If it's right. still alive, it'll blink because it's an involuntary reaction. If it's not blinking, it's dead as a doornail. Yeah. So, well, yeah. But anyway, yeah, I just, I, when I read that, I went, oh, wow, that's, and you know, those elk are pretty darn big, you know, they're, they're a big animal. So. There, there was another one in uh, Oregon, just, I believe in this last week, there was a beautiful one out there that got, somehow got its antlers tangled in a, uh, you know, in some wire, and the thing was all tangled up, and they actually had to shut off, uh, the public service up there had to shut off the, the power to the wires, and they got a crew out there. They tranquilized it, untangled it from the wire, and uh, let it go unharmed. But evidently, the thing was just exhausted from trying to free itself. Somehow, it got its antlers all tangled up. I guess it was a big one, too. Wow, wow. Yeah, and, it, and I'm sure you read how uh, uh, the, the government is being petitioned to uh, delist wolves from the endangered species list. So yeah, we'll, see, it, we'll see how that goes again. Well, it's pretty much, Tom, as far as I'm concerned, it's going to go go around in circles like it always does. Um, you know, they'll get it delisted, whatever. Maybe a state will go to start to try and have a hunt. We actually did have one uh, in Wisconsin for one year anyway. Maybe it was two. And then the animal rights activists will get some liberal court somewhere, judge somehow to do an injunction or something, and it'll be, a, we'll go through this over and over again, I think, and then the, then we won't be able to hunt them again, and yeah, it's a bunch of nonsense. Yeah, and, and you know, you're, you're right, it, it probably will go that way, but, well, at least we can keep our fingers crossed that it won't, but we'll see what happens, yeah, we'll see. And speaking of, uh, I'll get the data a little bit later during the show, I don't have it in front of me, the DNR, uh, you know, you got it's not that you Tom would ever criticize the DNR, but some people like to criticize the DNR about their, uh, you know, uh, counting methods for deer, wolves, or whatever. 
They do have a new method I, I was reading about where they're getting more and more accurate as far as estimating the amount of wolves. And I'll have to get the numbers, but I think the, the, they estimated it's roughly between 1,000 and 1,400 wolves, I think is what they, the, the, the range that they gave now. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely more than, you know, years ago when they said, well, there's, you know, 300, then they said there were maybe 800 or 900. Um, they are admitting there's a pretty good number of wolves in the state now. Yeah, and, and speaking of the DNR, um, Ron Heidenreich told me he was last this past week he was watching uh, Gollin's bait bait uh, service. Uh, the they they grow fish, okay, for uh, and then the DNR or whoever can buy them and have them stocked. Well, the DNR stocked through Gollin's uh, over forty thousand six to seven inch walleyes into Pewaukee Lake. Forty thousand over forty thousand. I forget the exact number, but it was over 40,000. They dumped them in over there at Smokey's Musky Bait and Tackle Shop. And uh, these were, you know, six to seven inches that have a really good survival rate. Well, that, uh, that, that that's better than putting them in when they're like, whatever, the fingerlings are fry. I believe right, the survival right. rate is better. So, well, yeah. Yeah, and uh, this is probably a good time to put them in there because pretty soon we're going to have the hard water season. So as far as any birds, you know, you know, fish-eating ducks or birds preying on them, that'll come to an end pretty quick once winter hits, uh, hits I'm guessing. Yeah, and, uh, you know, with the DNR stocking some and uh, walleyes for tomorrow st- stocking them, I, uh, boy, I'll tell you. Uh, Pewaukee Lake's going to turn into one heck of a walleye fishery. I mean, it already is pretty darn good, but it's going to get even better. Yeah, I, uh, I guess it, it, hopefully it does. Hopefully it does. Each, each year I keep thinking, okay, this year will be the year, and and uh, I really haven't heard of many people doing great on them yet. Um, there was uh, one of our listeners was getting a bunch of undersized ones last year drop shotting out there. Um, but, uh, it, it should, it can only get better. And, uh, I'm thinking the guys that are going to take best advantage of it are going to be the ice fishermen eventually. Yeah, they're going to have a good shot at it, you know, but the problem is you got to find them first. Got to find them. And, uh, fi- on the hard water, it's not as easy, you know? Well, I know one technique that I know nobody is using out there. Uh, a friend of mine, friend of mine, Mark Kirchhoff, uh, Skip he went by. He's moved up to Mercer now. Years ago, I don't know, 25 years ago, he read an In Fisherman uh, magazine article about three, dragging three ways. Three-way swivel with a one to three ounce, yeah. couple foot long lead, and then maybe a five, six foot lead back to a crawler harness or a, or a floating crankbait. And he went out there and he would crawl along, dragging bottom. He'd use the heavier weight, no planer boards. He'd have heavier weights to the inside and lighter weights to the outside, and he'd drag bottom with those, and he'd 
do the deep breaks in like 20, where it would break down to 25 feet, and he caught walleyes. And on the days he we couldn't catch the muskies when they weren't up and active, he'd be catching the muskies too because they wouldn't come on up and hit a slammer moving at three miles an hour, but they'd hit a half mile an hour dragged rapala right down on the bottom. So nobody's using those techniques anymore. And I, there's a lot of things that a guy could do if you spend the time to get out there to work on cracking the code. Uh, I was speaking of cracking the code, I guess we got a code cracker on the air. We got a caller, Tom. All righty, who we got? We got Rich in Milwaukee. He's got a musky question for you guys. All right. Okay. Morning, Rich. Morning, Hello, guys. Rich. Good morning. Hey, we yeah, got how you doing? Moon. We got a full moon coming up. Yeah. What's your, what's your uh, experience with musky fishing during this full moon? I heard it's supposed to be pretty good. Well, I'll, I'll go first, Dan. First of all, go first. I, I don't, I don't, I, I'm not a believer in the moon phases and all that. I'm a believer in you go fishing when you can go fishing. Because let's face it, we can't always go fishing when we want to go fishing. But it's always, they always say it's better three days before and three days after a full moon. Okay. So, but if you can't go then, well, what are you going to do, you know? Yep. What do you well, think, Danny? Well, I think when I used to be a bouncer at a bar, I broke up a lot of fights during the full moon. Got a handful of hair pulled out one time. I, I still got a little bit of a bald spot, but it was also a pretty good time for picking up chicks, too, because that kind uh, of affected their brains. Um, but uh, as, far as, the, as far as the fishing, um, I don't know. You know, I've, I've had just as good luck on whatever moon as I have on a full moon. I guess yeah. all things being equal, I know the moon phases do have an effect on game and fish. There's all times when we've been in the woods or driving down the road and all of a sudden you see deer in every field and all of a sudden all this movement, something's happening. There is an effect and I think all things being equal, uh, your local weather conditions are most important. But if you got a big 50-inch muskie that you're seeing by a rock off an island point on Lake of the Woods and you've seen it for five days but it won't eat, and all of a sudden your last day of the trip there's going to be a, a moon thing where it's sun whatever, a moonset, uh, sunset, moonrise type thing, a period coinciding with some good weather, then I would be on that spot, on that big fish, because just maybe, just maybe that'll be what it'll, it'll make, will make it go. I, I, I guess Joe Booker would probably, would probably say that, because I think he was a big one pushing the moon phase. But local weather. I hope that helps, Rick. Well, yeah. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to head up in two day, or two or three days and then go for a couple of hours. But I heard, I heard, you know, sometimes right before dark on a full moon is just awesome. But uh, I wanted to see what you had to say about it. Well, the yeah. more time you can spend on the water, the more time your lures are in the water, You're right. the better chance you got. So I had a I had a client, uh, Dr. Sandy used to come from he comes from Chicago once a week with me every summer and and he used to only plan the trips around the moon phase. He kind of drove me nuts when he'd do it. Now he now he just comes every Monday. He don't bother looking at the goddamn moon phase on the calendar. So, <laughs> Wonderful. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks for calling, Rick. Appreciate it. Okay, bye. Are uh, you there? Huh? Oh, okay. Well, right, no, the aliens like abducted me for a minute, but I'm yeah, back. That's right. we got to go to a break right now. So, folks, we'll be right back with more of the Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. Stay tuned.
Super Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. I'm Deluxe Danny Bush, single straight white wealthy retired landowner from Douglas County, along with Tommy the True Newbauer. Well, Danny, if you remember, last week I told you I was going to be going to a lake. Uh, look, uh, we had a special mission uh, in mind, my son and I, and I said I would give you a report this week. Well, this week, uh, I, well, last week we went to Nagawica because we've been hearing all season long about the great northern pike fishing on Lake, lake Nagawica. So our mission was to each one of us wanted to catch a legal northern pike to bring home and uh, cook up. So we went out, and the first spot we went to, we caught about a dozen northern pike that were all 23 to 25 inches. So we decided to go to a different part of the lake, and we caught two northern pike, both of them over the size limit of 26 inches. So mission accomplished. We did that. We also caught a few bass along the way, but what was really interesting was there was a couple of spots I wanted to try before we left for panfish, never realizing that Nagawika's got some pretty darn nice perch in it. I, I ended up catching an 11-inch perch and four 10-inch perch, and then we got blown off the spot. So hey. it, was, it, was, uh, it was a good morning, good morning out there last week. So you got some nice perch. Um, are you planning on having a fish fry anytime soon, Tom? Well, my son already ate those. <laughs> you already ate them? <laughs> yeah, Boy. he ate those, yeah. Boy, I guess uh, the apple doesn't fall too far from the no. tree. No, uh, no. Boy, just like the old man, he loves chowing down, man. Yeah, and I, I already <laughs> ate the pike and the bass. I, I kept one bass and the pike, and uh, we had that during the week so hey you know how Nagawick got its name no well there was a guy who used to live on the lake big house there many years ago his name was a wicca his wife used to gripe and yell and complain at him all the time so it got the name Nagawicka. so yeah there's a little known think, fact on how it got its name I, I there, think buddy. you just made that up <laughs> no no that's a fact <laughs> yeah that's a fact look it up <laughs> he was an Indian guy named a wicca his wife was pretty crabby Oh goodness! So, anyway, but yeah, that uh, that was about it. Uh, so yeah, we did have it. We had a good time. A little chilly out, and it was very windy on last last Sunday. Very very windy. So that's how we got blown off to one spot. But uh, we did catch a lot of northern pike. I'll tell you that. But just uh, only two of them that were above legal size. Hey, um, I got a question for you, Tom. Being as you know, like everything about every body of water in this state, almost. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. Have you have you ever fished the flambo flowage? Long time ago, I was on there once. Bounced off a few tree stumps, but I I don't remember a lot about it. I remember it was up there one time though. Okay, because the flambo flowage, I believe it's a flowage on the Wisconsin River, correct? Right. Right. Okay. You know, our buddy Troy Woodrow, being as he's living up north there, hey, and he loves to fish. So I mean, he's uh. He's hiring guides. In fact, he'll be fishing with our uh, our good friend Big O, Dave Olson, trying to do some musky fishing on the bay, probably in a week or two. I think he told me. But in the meantime, he likes to fish from shore. He kind of got into that habit when he owned a house on Pewaukee Lake, and he he once one fall he bought twelve hundred dollars worth of suckers from from John Lehman. He had a tab going, a sucker tab. Oh, so geez. and he'd soak them off his pier. 
And uh, but anyway, he likes fishing from shore. Anyway, he talked to a bunch of locals there, and they agreed that below the Flambeau flowage on the Wisconsin River, that there's some big muskies hanging around there. So he found a shore spot to fish, put a sucker on, and he had a big hit this week. He said the thing hit and was just torquing, making a, you know, peeling line off his rod on a big power run. And when he went to set the hook, however, all he got back were just teeth marks on the sucker. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, I, I you know, I, I was kind of wondering if you fished. I, so I'm assuming, you know, there's muskies in that Wisconsin River system. We know that. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming flambeau flowage as well must 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 have some muskies in there. I looked at it on a Google map. Looks like a fascinating body of water. Yeah, I remember, and I remember too that we we had to be careful because you know some areas were kind of shallow, some areas had stump stumps. You know, it it, it was different. You know, and when you're fishing a a river system, basically a big river, you know, a big widening of a river, so. Yeah, it's, you know, any of those flowages, you got to be careful on. Got to be then, careful. And that's pretty much, it's pretty much the case on on all the flowages, yep. uh, like you said, as far as old stumps and so forth. Now, the other major flowages on there are what? The Castle Rock and Petenwell, correct? Yep, yep. Okay. And now, you've, you've fished those, though, a little more extensively, haven't you, in tournaments and so forth? The Castle Rock. Uh, but not the Petenwell. I've been on the Petenwell, but not as a tournament, no. Okay. No. So okay. Uh, there was, like, way back when, there was, uh, they, we thought there was going to be a, a tournament there, so we went out there to check it out, And but there never was. But, uh, yeah, there's, uh, and, you know, there's other areas that are uh, widenings of the Wisconsin River, like Lake Mohoxen. Is a is another flowage basically. It's a widening of the Wisconsin River, but they call it a lake. Um, so there's other ones, just not as big as those three, you know. Now, for for river system flowages, Tom, would would those more likely have small mouths as opposed to large mouths? Because when I think of a river, I think small mouths. I really don't think large mouths so much. Yeah, there's there's pre- predominantly more smallies than large mouth, but there are large mouth in them too, you know. Um, but predominantly more smallies. And and how about with rivers now? Why 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 aren't there more largemouth in rivers? Do they not like current as much as smallmouths? Uh, any idea there? I that I really don't know. But I know that uh, largemouth are a little lazy. They like you know staying where it's nice and calm. But you Back know what? Water. So so do smallies too. Smallies will be on the in the eddies and then the slack water next to current breaks and when something goes by they'll dash out and grab it so i guess uh i guess maybe they're kind of alike in that way some in some sense but yeah you're well, right uh, the smallies seem to be predominantly more in rivers well, than look, largemouth well look at the milwaukee river here yeah the milwaukee river here is i from what i understand one of the best kept secrets as far as smallmouth fishing yeah it's full um, of them it's full of them, and uh, I've got friends who have waited and really done well. Uh, and now, yeah, I mean, you go all the way up to what, uh, up all the all, all the way up to Cedarburg, Thienesville, whatever. You can go yeah. all the way up that that area. And I talked to one of one of my fishermen that I had in the boat this year. Told me he was up there fishing one time, and all of a sudden, come out, come down the river, or walking out, however, is Babe Winkleman. And Dave Winkleman, 
Babe Winkleman told him this is one of the best kept secrets for for bass in Wisconsin. Um, oh wow! Yeah, yeah, well, and he I mean, was fishing my, up somewhere around there. My boys and I used to wait in it in the river, but this was down near uh, down here. Okay, uh, you know where Channel Six is off of what is that Brown Deer Road or something? Anyway, but uh, we would do that down here. And we we caught a lot of smallies, but they were small. I mean, if you got a 10-incher, that was a big one. You know, I mean, they were all small. But on ultralight gear, it was fun. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. The further north you go, the bigger they get. So Yeah, I've heard I've heard stories. Guys are getting some three-pounders three anyway. And, oh, uh, yeah. Let, now, let me ask you, Tom, if you were wading that river, do you need waders? Like some bodies of water, it's the water so cold that your feet start getting legs, you know, calves turn white, and you really need to have the waders. Um, but is that one that a guy could just wear shorts and tennis shoes in the summer and wade? Yeah, in the summertime, that's what we did. Uh, first time I went there, I wore waders, and it was a pain in the butt. So uh, we just went in shorts and tennis shoes, and I mean, the water never got over our knees, and. Uh, and it wasn't cold. I mean, it was, you know, it was the middle of summer, you know, so it was pleasant out. Yeah, it was okay. Is it, now some some of these places when you wade, it's pretty treacherous as far as the slippery rocks and so forth. Uh, how how was, how would you rate that one? Uh, I would not rate it treacherous at all. No, it was, okay. it, was it was pretty easy. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty safe. Yeah. So that's, that's one of our tips to our listeners there. Fish that Milwaukee River this summer. And, uh, man, you'd never, and not only, the great thing about rivers, I mean, there's multi-species in rivers. Yep. Yep. So, you never know what you're going to catch sometimes. So, yeah, well, I think I'm going to have after to... this break, we got the gut report, and then you're going to tell us some bear facts? I got some bear stories I, I want to tell Tom, if you can bear with me. It's been, uh, ha, ha. Yeah, can you oh. bear with me, Tom? Yeah, oh, I got oh, it. Oh, I got oh. it. Bear All with right. you. So... Anyway, I got it. anyway, I'll tell the story of when I shot my my bar, my American black bar years ago, and other stories about giant bears. All right, yeah. And later on, uh, well, I don't have to tell about. It. I just my my son Nick was successful. Shot a couple of doe last weekend. No buck, but a couple of does. Now his freezer is full, and so he's a happy camper. Okay. Yeah, anyway. we we got we got deer tails today too. Yeah. All right, folks, uh, coming up next is the Gut Report. Stay tuned. Uh, you're listening to 105.7 FM, The Fan, and 12.50 AM. He's Dan Bush. I'm Tom Neubauer. Sam Schmitz is on the boards. We'll be right back with more. Come here. I'm going to eat you. I'm bigger than you. I'm higher in the food chain. Get in my belly. The Gut Report is brought to you by Discount Liquor. Well, no cooking recipe today. I have cooking tips. For an example, when you're cooking pasta, once you brought it up to a boil and you put your pasta in and now you brought it up to a second boil, turn down the heat a little bit and put a wooden spoon over the top. The pasta won't overflow. How about that? Also, don't forget to salt your pasta water. Then save about a cup of it because you might need it for your pasta dish. And here's the last one. You ever make hard-boiled eggs and they're kind of a pain in the butt to peel the shell off? Try this. Take a, a glass jar that's big enough to fit, you know, a hard-boiled egg. Put about a third or a quarter of a cup of water in it. 
put the hard-boiled egg in it, put the cap on, and then shake like crazy for about 5 to 10 seconds. Roll out the egg, and you'll be surprised how easy that shell comes off. Anyway, the Gut Report is brought to you by Discount Liquor, which is in its 60th year of business. No other liquor store has been local and original family-owned for that many years. There's a reason why they've been in business that long. Price, service, and selection. So if you want some weekly specials, and I'm not kidding, weekly specials, just go to DiscountLiquorInc.com. Welcome back to the Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. I'm Dan Bush, along with my good friend Tommy the True Newbauer. Hey, thanks everybody for listening today. We back the badge, thin blue line. We support law enforcement officers, always have, always will. Also first responders, healthcare workers, military folks. We want to thank you for what you do and uh, out there watching, watching out for us. Um, anyway, Tom, uh, I kind of uh, we kind of teased our bear segment here, so I'll tell the story. You know, years ago, my goal was to shoot a black bear in Wisconsin. You know, I shot one in Canada in 1988 with the .06, but I wanted to shoot a bear, and I didn't want to do it with a bow because at the time I wasn't really all that into the bow hunting like most people are. I wanted to do it with a handgun. And uh, ever since I was in Army ROTC in college and had to shoot 22 handguns, I became fascinated with the amount of skill it really takes to get proficient with a handgun. In fact, I think most people at 20 yards are going to be more accurate with a bow than they would be with a handgun. Um, but anyway, I practiced and practiced, and I got to the point where, you know, I could hit a pie plate offhand at 50 yards pretty consistently. I managed to shoot a whitetail buck up there in Douglas County, and not a big one, but a small one at about 55 yards. And then I wanted to shoot a bear. So when I was bear hunting, uh, I hunted two days before I finally got a bear. And it's amazing, Tom, the nose that that is on a bear. Now, we had someone call us up last week asking how to try and, you know, avoid deer smelling you and things you can do. But bears have a, Rod, our friend Rod Grimmie, you remember him, Tom, right? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Rod Grimmie was the one who told me that if you think a, a white-tailed deer has a good nose, a bear is, is even better because he had gotten busted by a bear, um, you know, several years before that. So I, I, I tried to go with all the, uh, the you know, washing the clothes and using the scent stuff. You know, the, uh, I climbed a tree. I rubbed a bunch of tree sap all over me up in this evergreen tree. Plus, you got your bait pile with all kinds of smelly blueberry dough, all kinds of stuff. You would think that that bear would not smell you. But uh, anyway, when a, bear, when a bear comes in, for those who've never seen a bear in the forest, you really have to see it to appreciate it because they come in like a black panther. You don't hear anything. Now, deer, sometimes deer can come in quietly, but a, a lot of times you'll hear a twig snap, you'll hear something. When a bear comes in, I don't hear anything. Maybe it's the soft pads that they have to, for their paws, for their feet. But anyway, this bear came in like a ghost, looped around in front of me, and went to my, uh, went to my uh, uh, east. And he went that way because the wind was coming out of the west, so it wanted to come in downwind of the stand, 
or I guess would that be upwind of the stand? Anyway, he wanted to smell to see if there was any danger, so that's why they come in that way. Well, it didn't smell me then, and it came right on into the bait pile. And the other thing that's hard for bear hunters uh, is judging the size of a bear because they all look big in the woods. Now, having shot a small size bear in Canada, I kind of, I had several on trail camera. I wanted to get a, you know, a bit, little bit of a bigger than average size bear. And there's different ways of judging, which, you know, maybe someday that's for another show. But by the time the thing walked by and I realized it was a shooter, it laid down and started licking at the bottom of the bait log like a big lab licking at its supper dish on your, you know, kitchen floor. But it wasn't but 10 seconds, and the thing raised up to all fours and then stood up on its hind legs. It was really cool. They look really big when they stand up on their hind legs, Tom. Um, it stood up on its hind legs with its back to me, put its nose in the air, turned its head 180, and looked me directly in the eyes. Wow. That thing smelled me. I couldn't believe it. It's, it had me nailed. And then, you know, then it's given me the old stink eye. It's given me the, it never took its eyes. Our eyeballs never broke. But it dropped to all fours, and it started doing a fast walk into the bush. And when it was disappearing, I was like in a trance. I wasn't, my heart wasn't pounding. I wasn't nervous. I was just kind of like in a zone. And as it just was disappearing, I realized that I got to take the shot now. And I shot as it was disappearing into the bush. And I thought, you know, all I could see was just a patch of black as I squeezed. And I thought I was on its chest area. And as fate may have it, I double-lunged it with a 280-grain Federal Swift premium. And uh, it ran about 50 yards. Head came up. I heard a crash. I saw its head come up and disappear. But then I didn't hear the death moan. And typically they make a moan, which I guess is the air escaping their lungs. But the reason it didn't have a death moan is I double-lunged it. And it was a 240-pound dress sow. So I, I was very happy with that bear. And that's the last time I've pulled the trigger since. But, Tom, that bear compared to we heard about a bear this week uh, that was a lot bigger and shot by an 11-year-old girl. Yeah, 700 pounds. Wow. 700 pounds, yeah. And uh, yeah, and we want to thank, was that Tex that sent us the uh, yeah. article? Yeah, Tex and the Big Rig. Okay, yeah, because let's see, the bear, let's see, 700, I'm just looking at the article here, I think it's 721 pounds dressed weight. Uh, yeah, so they took it, they used two certified scales to determine the bear's field dressed weight. 720 pounds. Uh, they estimate the animal, animal weighed closer to 813 pounds live weight before dressing. Wow. Which is just an enormous bear. But it's interesting, Tom, they don't measure bear on weight, record bears. They go by that skull size. Right, thing. right. Yeah, so it'll be, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure this one will qualify for Boone and Crockett. Whether or not it's going to be a new state record, uh, that's another thing. But that got me kind of uh, uh, interested in, in, in size, you know, size of bears, record sizes of bears. And uh, I was uh, looking, actually, it's interesting, the latest Field and Stream magazine talks about big bears, and it talks about in, the Car in Carolina. Uh, in North Carolina, 
evidently they get some monster bears out there and they got guys who run dogs out there uh, but uh, it basically has the article in field and stream it says in 19 november 1998 uh koi parton dolly parton's cousin oh, wow. trucked his trucked his bear dogs from uh, the east tennessee mountains to north carolina's coastal plain he let his plot hounds loose they cold trailed a massive set of tracks for two miles, jumped the bear in a thicket. The Bruin turned and fought, then broke and ran. One hunter whiffed a shot. The bear bolted again. Then when the boar was, was uh, surrounded by the, by the dogs again, uh, the guy Parton, <laughs> Parton, Dolly Parton's cousin, oh, good old Coy. Who could forget Coy Parton, boy? I'll tell you, I drank a lot of beers with Coy over the years. Anyway, Coy went in with a 12-gauge shotgun loaded with double-O buck. Um, I also, now, the, the magazine doesn't say how many times they shot it, but I've got a bear, a, a book about black bear hunting. It explains how they had to give it, had to give it to him a number of times before that bear gave up the ghost. But he used a 12-gauge shotgun with double-O buck. The bear was so large it had to be hauled to a fertilizer company to find scales big enough to weigh it. And it weighed 880 pounds and stands as one of the heaviest black bear ever taken in North America. Wow. So that would be one that's even bigger, uh, but not that much bigger. Um, I, I think if I had shot that bear that the gal shot, I probably would avoid field dressing it and want to get somebody to come in there <laughs> with a forklift. Or if you got, <laughs> or you go down to the local bar and uh, there's the 10 unemployed guys sitting around there and say, you, 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 until you get to 20, you're all coming with me. <laughs> and you all, We all get a rope and we all tie it to the bear and heave all that thing out of there because I'd want to weigh the whole bear just to get the whole live weight. Right, right. I agree with you. Yeah, so, well, but anyway, congratulations to the 11-year-old girl who got that monster bear. Yeah, and coming up next, folks, is the, the Hornschwaggle brought to you by Carl's Country Market. And if you win, you're going to get a $10 gift certificate to Carl's Country Market out there in uh, Menominee Road. I mean, Menominee Falls on the corner of Silver Spring and Pilgrim Road. But before we go to a break, I just got to tell you this one last thing. Skipper Buds is your one-stop shop for all your marine needs. Need a new boat? They got it. Need a used boat? They got it, too. Need an engine? You bet they got it. Need those water toys, jet skis? Okay, they got those. Need service on your boat, motor, or trailer? Skipper Buds can do that, too. Skipper Buds is located on Silvernail Road in Waukesha. If you have any questions, go to Skipper Buds. Dot com for more info. Traveling in a fighter combi on a hippie trail head full of zombies. Welcome back to the Skiver Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. Thanks for tuning in this morning and listening to us. And right now we have our Hornswoggle contestant. Uh, I hope we got a contestant there. We do. Okay, who, who do we got? We got Keith in Waukesha today. Keith in Waukesha. Okay, Keith in Waukesha. I think you've done this before. Uh, Good morning, guys. Good morning, Good morning. Keith. Oh, uh, yeah. Hey, long as we got you on the line, Keith, uh, any hunting, fishing stories to report? 
Well, I, I called you originally to tell you that the Turtle Flambeau Flowage is okay. common on the Flambeau River, not the Wisconsin River. Oh, okay. And uh, another quick thing here, uh, I made a mistake of being on uh, Lake Winnebago on Thursday, and that is, I didn't, unbeknownst to me, it is the weekend of the Cabela's Bass Pro Shops National Walleye Tournament. Uh-oh. And that river was alive. <laughs> there were 34 boats under the 41 bridge, and I'll bet you there was $2 million worth of boats lined up from edge to edge. It was quite a show. <laughs> now, let me ask you guys this. I know we're kind of getting off the hornswoggle thing a little bit, but do you think maybe they've gone overboard on too many tournaments these days? Uh, it, it was it was unbelievable. There was a poor gentleman fishing 50 yards downstream. The guys were following the rules. They'd buzz up to the bridge, cut their throttle, and if they could weasel through the crowd, as soon as they'd get on the other side, they'd kick it in the butt. And this poor guy was like a cork in a maelstrom. <laughs> I mean, you know, these 300 horse, 250 horses kicking the butt, they throw a wake that God Almighty knows, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, if for two hours straight, I had a parade of boats coming through there. Oh, jeez. And the biggest thing I got out of this, I went on to results. The bottom 130 people caught one fish or less on the whole system. There's 225 wow. boats. The biggest one, first place, was I wrote it down here. The guy got 10 fish. Well, you're allowed five fish. Uh, you know, it's a three-fish limit, but they're allowed five to, to weigh in uh, on the team. This is a team deal. Yeah. 10 fish for 17 pounds. I'm a little disappointed because you got 225 of the best walleye fishermen in the world, and better than half the boats couldn't catch a walleye. <laughs> you know? Wow. So that's just uh, my takeoff. I'm a little... I thought the system was a little better than that, to tell you the truth. That's all I can right. say. Right. So, so. Well, hopefully we can make your day better, Keith, with some, if you can win that $10 certificate. Yeah, we'll uh, give it a shot. I haven't given it a shot for a couple of years since Char won that beautiful uh, mini mite hat. Hey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Okay. Elk. Elk. There's, there's lots of talk about elk. Being as being as we've kind of reestablished them in Wisconsin, and now they've got a really limited hunt. I mean, like just a couple elk get, can get shot every year. But uh, elk actually were not ever native to Wisconsin, so they never never actually even lived here. Hornswoggle or no hornswoggle? That is a hornswoggle. Hornswoggle. There we go. Okay. Next one. We were talking bar. We were talking about Wisconsin black bar and uh, big bears, and uh, there's uh, a lot of hunting going on for bear these days. It's pretty popular, but uh, uh, believe it or not, bear hunting used to be not really be that much that regulated, wasn't done by a lot of people, and you used to actually be able to shoot a bear with your gun deer license if you stumbled upon one during deer season. Hornschwaggle or no hornschwaggle? No hornschwaggle. No hornschwaggle. Okay, you're a winner. And uh, deer antlers, deer antlers. They say that uh, if you see a deer with the one side that has deformed uh, antlers or something, it might be due to some bodily injury that might have affected the growth. Hornswoggle or no hornswoggle? That's no hornswoggle. No hornswoggle. Well, Keith, you are greatly knowledgeable. Uh, I knew, I knew you'd get these. 
I will uh, I will get that uh, ten dollar certificate mailed out to you, buddy, and hopefully you got some deer to get processed there this year at Carl's Country Market. Appreciate. It. Are you guys back in the studio now or no? No. 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 We won't let he, in, uh, huh? Oh boy. Okay. Won't let us in. <laughs> you guys, you guys have a great day, and like you say, I'm a I'm a little disappointed with the the amount of tournaments and the money is the big driving factor because, like I say, it was. The guys that are driving these boats, boy, they were all, every one was $70,000 or up. It was unbelievable. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, have a good one. Okay, Keith. Thank you. All right. You. Take care, Keith. Right now. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you, Danny, I didn't think you were going to fool Keith on many uh, hunting questions. He's quite the hunter. No, no, you're right about that. Hey, uh, I will tease something out here. Um, at 7.30 today... Um, 7.30 today, we're going to have none other, none other than Door County Guide Extraordinaire, Mr. Dale Strosheim. We'll be calling us in, uh, calling in at 7.30, and uh, he'll be with us for our end segment. Got lots to talk about, evidently, uh, and we'll let him, I'll just tease it briefly, but evidently he uh, filmed a gangbuster show with our friend John Gillespie, which I guess would be airing today and tomorrow. So, uh, yeah, we hope, hope to hear about that because I uh, heard they got some nice fish. Yeah. And, you know, since uh, last week when we talked that talked about that collated woodpecker, is that how we said it? Uh, that's how I incorrectly said it. Uh, I think the guy called and it's called a pileated. Pi, pileated. That's it, yeah. Pileated. Well, I've had a number of people during the week talking to me about that, you know, and asking about that. So uh, I, I think we stirred stirred something up there. <laughs> well, yeah, you never know, you know. Everybody likes to have a good woodpecker conversation, I guess. Uh, I guess. Um, I don't know. <laughs> hey, uh, one other thing, too. Uh, my buddy, you know, my buddy Mark Horton, uh, he likes mm-hmm. to bass fish a lot. And... Um, he uh he's the one who got me into the smallmouth fishing up there in Dork County. And he's in contact with uh you know Bill Schultz who you know of. Uh he he used to fish that Milwaukee River system a lot, I guess you said. And and now he's often writing for uh, Badger Sportsman uh magazine about Dork County smallmouth fishing. Well, apparently according to Bill, he's had probably one of his worst or not such of a good year up there this year. And he's concerned about the amount of pressure uh, that it's really been getting, especially since, uh, you know, the Door County, it's been getting hammered since Bassmaster Magazine uh, named it the number one spot in 2014 and number two in 2015. Um, they, they're basically, uh, you know, according, according to Bill, he feels that the numbers are down, both in numbers of fish you're catching and size and they're having an awful lot of tournaments up there, too, so it's really getting pounded. Uh, so evidently, there's going to be a, uh, a, a meeting, a uh, uh, Zoom meeting. Uh, I believe that the DNR is going to be sponsoring it on October 13th, and it, I, I believe guides and so forth can participate in this meeting. And uh, I guess it's, they're going to be discussing the fishery and uh, maybe determining you know, whether or not uh, they need to do something about it. Now, they did close the Mink River um, 
which I used to fish that last week of May, first week of June, but then they, this year they closed it where you couldn't get in there till the middle of June, which, you know what, um, I you know it kind of bummed me out because I used to Ned rig right in the Mink River working those edges, and it was great. You know, my first fish last year was a 20-incher. Uh, but, you know, those fish do get pounded when they're in there spawning, so protecting them, I guess, you know, hopefully should help. But anyway, the DNR will be sending a, a release in advance of the meeting, and uh, you know maybe uh, you know maybe they'll have some some new regulations. Now, Tom, do you do you think people keep a lot of smallmouth bass that they no, catch out of Green so. Bay? No, I don't okay. think so. Well, I don't either. But according to Mark, uh, that the word he's getting is that there are people that are going up there and are filling freezers and coolers full of smallmouth bass, that they're piling up on them. And I, you know what, Tom, I wouldn't be surprised because I've had a few fish fries up there where we'd take the incidental pike and walleye that we caught, and then if we felt we didn't quite have enough meat for, you know, four guys in a fish fry, I might keep one or two of the smaller but legal smallies to cook along with them. And I'll tell you what, Tom, those smallmouth out of the Bay of Green Bay, to me, tasted as good as the walleye or the pike. So I wouldn't put it past some meat hunters to want to load up on them if they could, because they are really good. Yeah, yeah, that's possible. I was just, uh, you know, when we come back after this break, I've got a few more questions for you. And I'm sure Dale Strohshine is going to have... Uh, some thoughts about this uh, too on the Bay of Green Bay since that where, that's where he does his fishing. So uh, with that, we'll, we'll, we'll come back and we'll talk more about this, folks, after the seven o'clock break. So we'll be back in just a few minutes. So stay tuned. Don't uh, don't walk away too far. Get that coffee and uh, uh, get ready for another hour of power with uh, Dan Bush and me, Tom Newbauer. We'll be right back. The following is paid commercial programming. The content and opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of WSSP, Intercom Milwaukee, its staff, or sponsors. From Lake Michigan to the Mississippi, and every river, lake, and field in between, let's talk everything outdoors. All aboard! <laughs> You're on the crazy train! Welcome to the Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. Fasten your seatbelts for a wild ride through Wisconsin's outdoors. Only on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. Well, here we are, folks. Another hour. We're uh, brought to you, of course. Every, I mean, we come to you every Saturday morning from 6 to 8 a.m., we are live, we are unrehearsed, so if you want to be part of the show, just give us a call at 414-799-1250. That's 799-1250. And uh, good morning, Sam. Good morning, Danny. Uh, good morning. Yeah, here we are again. Uh, you know, nice weather this weekend, but, ooh, next week, temperatures going down. A little bit like fall weather. Well, Tom, you... Uh... You were talking about your son shot a couple of does, uh, what, last week or something? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, uh, and, and you teased before, before, we, before I get on deer, I want to talk a little on deer. You said you had some questions you wanted to ask right before the break. We were talking about smallies in Door County. Oh, yeah. I wanted to know, uh, of any smallies that you filleted from Door County, 
or that, that first of all, on the outside of their body, did they have any of those little black parasite spots? And once you fillet them, did they have any of the black spots or worm nodules on the flesh? Uh, why are you creeping me out? Are you trying to tell me I got tapeworms now? No, my, my smallies were clean, and it was only one or two of them. They were clean. No, no black spots, huh? No black spots. Okay, okay. See, now that's why I think maybe people might keep some from up there, uh, because you know I'll tell you what, uh, you know, like all the all the smallies we caught up uh, in the Manaqua area on several different lakes, every one of them had the black spots on it. Every one. So, so you're saying people keep them because they got the parasites? No, no, no. They keep them because they don't. That they're clean. Oh, you know, okay. and 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 because I wouldn't keep one, you know. See, I I might be tempted to keep one if it was clean, you know, to eat, you know, keep one or two. But if they have those black spots, I'm not going to keep them. No, not I even. I don't re- I don't mm-hmm. recall any of them seeing seeing those black yeah. spots on them. Now, even even though it is has been told to me that as long as they're frozen properly or cooked properly, that you know, you're fine, you're, there's no problem, but it's just aesthetically not pleasing to think about what you could be eating, you know? And right. if you don't cook them properly, uh, then you could get a tapeworm, and you don't want one of those. You know, you yeah, although fish, fish is really pretty easy to cook, Tom. Don't they say yeah. it, it, when it floats, it's done if you're deep frying it? Right? Uh, not necessarily. Of... They don't always float. Yeah, uh, but okay. but you know, it, it. I mean, it doesn't take but a few minutes aside. You know? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't I mean, take long. It, we don't want to. Now, after listening listening to our show, Tom, we're, you're going to have all our listeners out there, and and they're going to be burning them to a black crisp when they're cooking their <laughs> their goddamn <laughs> fish because Tom Newbauer's grossing oh, everybody out talking about tapeworms. Oh, hey, I got to tell you something, Danny. This 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 was important. Okay. Uh, when I made those fish that my son and I caught when I made them last week, um, normally I take either Shore Lunch or Legendary Northwoods, the breading stuff, and I mix it with half of cracker, half cracker meal, half of the, let's say, Shore Lunch, okay? Well, I didn't have any cracker meal at home. And I remember reading somewhere about taking, and I think I might have done it years ago, but I forgot about it, that you take a sleeve of uh, crackers, you know, saltine crackers, or maybe go half a sleeve at a time, yeah, and you put it in a Ziploc bag, and you take a rolling pin, and you roll it, and you make your own cracker meal, okay? Well, I did that, and I'll tell you what, I think I'm going to do that every time I make fish. Instead of buying the cracker meal, the, the, you know, the cracker meal that you buy is uh, much finer, whereas this was more coarse. And I'll tell you what, uh, you know, in cooking, it's not just flavor, but it's also also texture. You know, what you feel if there's crunch or texture. And this, I'll tell you what, I don't, I don't think I'll go back. I think I'm going to do this all the time. Half of the, let's say, shore lunch and half of my homemade cracker meal. It was excellent, just excellent. Well, I'm, I'll yeah. tell you what, when you're talking fried fish, it's hard to mess it up. And uh, I told you, Tom, we had Bushy Fest here right. uh, last week on Thursday, but I did not cook up the 20 bluegills I have filleted and the big pike I got filleted. So I've got one gosh darn good fish fry 
you know, waiting for a place to happen right now. So, um, but let me ask you, Tom, do you, do you do your fish fry and just like in like a, a, you know, like one of those deep fryers with the little basket and stuff, or do you just use a frying pan? I just use a frying pan. Okay. Now, what kind of oil? I mean, because they got corn oil, they got olive oil. I think olive oil is supposed to be healthier for you. What kind of oil do you, do you well, like to use? You wouldn't want to use olive oil because that would give a different flavor to the fish. And also, olive oil you can't use at higher temperatures. That's for lower temperatures. So but I like blow up the house? Yeah, whatever. But, okay, but I'll don't tell want you to what, blow up the, the, house. the basic, uh, just your basic vegetable oil. Just your basic, cheapest vegetable oil. That's all you need. You don't okay. need anything fancy for frying fish. Vegetable hey, oil? Yeah. Okay. Now, is that heat, do you have to worry about that getting too hot? Uh, well, yeah, you don't want it too hot or you'll burn the fish. You want to keep it around that 350 to 375 degrees. Yeah, I get, and same with the corn oil, if you wanted to use corn yeah. oil. right. And pretty much... Uh, what do you do? Just uh, don't some of the guys just kind of like do a little flick of water or or spit into it and see if it cracks and then it's ready no. to go? No, I wouldn't spit into it. No, I take a little bit of crumbs or a little bit of the coating or whatever, and okay. I'll just drop that in. And if it starts to bubble, then I know it's hot enough. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'm getting these tips from Tom. You are the expert on the cooking well, of the fish. Yeah, I heard something that was so weird yesterday. You know our good friends Tom and Mary Jo Smiley? Yep. Okay, well, Mary Jo told me the other yesterday that uh, she bought a, a cantaloupe, but it was a different color cantaloupe. It had, like, stripes on it. And I guess, you know, when you when you buy a cantaloupe, and I, and I go through this myself, when you buy one from the store, you, you it's not ripe yet. So you have to, like, set it someplace for a few days to let it ripen. Well, she put hers on top of their fridge. To let it ripen for two, three days. She said the darn thing exploded. Can you imagine that? It exploded, and there was, you know, melon all over the place. It, like, exploded in the kitchen? Yes, it exploded. And, and I said, I've never heard of that. And Tom said that she wasn't making it up. You know, it exploded. It went boom. <laughs> an exploding cantaloupe. Yeah, now, an exploding Now, that cantaloupe. gives me... So that gives me some great ideas where I could pick up a couple of those and put one in my buddy's backpack or uh, <laughs> in his back seat or under his snowmobile seat. Or you could set up these exploding exploding cantaloupe booby traps. Well, see, I don't, I don't think they all explode. I think something was different about that one particular one. You know, I mean, I don't think... They all explode, otherwise I don't think they'd be selling them. Well, but I just thought yeah, that was, I, that was I, I don't know. so maybe, strange, maybe, an exploding cantaloupe. Maybe 4th of July they might have something going there. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, exploding, yeah, hopefully uh, hopefully the explosion isn't too violent and, you know, somebody's not going to get injured there. Right. Well, they said yeah. it just made quite a mess. Hey, uh, I got more, more bear information here I thought I'd share, being as we were talking about Big Bear. Do you want um, to do this before the break or after the break? Yeah, we'll do it before. we got three minutes. I'm watching the All clock right. here, Tom. Good. Uh, Good. From my book, Black Bear Hunting, by Richard P. Smith. And anybody who's interested in bear hunting, 
or if you bought it, draw a tag, give me a call. I will loan this book to you, or you can pick it up. I don't even know where I got this book, but I bought it before bear hunting, and I read it cover to cover, and it, it's the best, most informative uh, book on the subject. Uh, but anyway, according to this book, and he quotes the third edition of the Guinness Book of uh, Animal Facts and Feats by Gerald Wood of England, the heaviest black bear on record for North America weighed an amazing 902 pounds field-dressed. Its estimated wow. live weight would have been in excess of 1,000 pounds. New Brunswick resident Joe Allen shot it. November 1976, it had come into his camp and mortally wounded his German shepherd. Um, so then he, uh, he went on out there, and after it had injured his dog, uh, he shot it with a 180-grain slug from a Remington 280. And uh, even though the, uh, the, new, the, the New Brunswick Ministry of Natural Resources does not recognize the weight because no personnel from the agency were on hand when the bear was weighed, but that doesn't mean that the weight wasn't accurate because it was still weighed on a scale. Um, it, it was actually weighed on a, uh, uh, one of their new, uh, you know, the Ministry of Natural Resources scale, but evidently the official who was supposed to be there wasn't there. So the, it was an accurate scale. So that would be the biggest bear, actually, that I, I think anybody's ever heard of as far as a black bear because that one 902 pounds dress field dress thousand pounds live weight that's one big bear man that's awesome well i got to remind everybody danny that coming up next is the football picking contest you can win a ten dollar gift certificate to curly's waterfront pub on pewaukee lake all you got to do is tie or beat the three of us and uh, you'll be a winner but before we go to that, I just want to let you know that Skipper Buds is your one-stop shop for all your marine needs. Need a new boat? They got it. Need a used boat? They got that, too. Need an engine? You bet they got it. Right? And need those water toys and jet skis? Yeah, they got that, too. Need service on your boat, motor, or trailer? Skipper Buds can do that. Skipper Buds is located on Silvernail Road in Waukesha, and if you have any questions and you need more info, just go to skipperbuds.com. That's skipperbuds.com. Listen to the Nary Milwaukee Home Improvement Show Saturday morning starting at 8. Howard Rowell from Royal Chimney Services will be our special guest. It's the Nary Milwaukee Home Improvement Show only on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. Welcome back to the Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. I'm Dan Bush along with Tom Neubauer, and now we have our football picking contest. Yeah, I forgot to give a phone number. Sam, do we have a contestant? Oh, yeah. We got Paul in New Berlin's our contestant for this. All right. Good morning, Paul. Hey, good morning. Okay, Sam, what's the point spread? As of now, the Saints are currently three-point home favorites. I will mention, though, we have some really key injuries for this game, though. Michael Thomas has already been ruled out for New Orleans, and Kenny Clark is questionable for Green Bay, and Devontae Adams is doubtful. Right. Well, Paul, what do you think? Who are you going to go with? Well, I'm just going to hope Green Bay wins, so I'm going to go with Green Bay. All right. Danny, who do you like? Uh, I'm going to go with the home team, New Orleans. 
All right, I'm going to go with Green Bay. Sam, what about you? I like Green Bay, but I think uh, I'll take uh, New Orleans to cover. Oh, you think so? So you're going to take New Orleans? Oh, well, yeah. I think it's. I think with Devonte, if Devontae's out, it's going to be a close game. That's for oh, sure. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. well, they're they're only favored by what three? Yeah. Well, that's not that much. We we got a, a, a an excellent field goal kicker. He can cover that. Oh yeah. As do they. They're actually a lot. It's it's interesting. They're actually really equal to one right. another because you know we have Alvin Kamara. They have Aaron right. Jones, and or <laughs> we have Aaron Jones. They have Alvin Kamara. Yeah. And vice versa. You can go position by position. Hey, Paul, I got a question for you. Yeah. Have you ever been to Curly's Waterfront Pub? Um, yeah, I think last summer we went one time in, on the weekend when they had a pizza special. Okay. Well, you're going to have a $10 gift certificate, uh, you know, to go out there again. Yeah. Right. Let us know how, how it was, all right? All right. All right. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Oh, hey, don't forget to leave your uh, name and address with Sam. All right. So stay on hold. All righty. Well, okay. Danny. So, that Tom, that was Paul, right? Yeah, that was Paul. That's, that was Paul. Okay, gotcha. So uh, that's the game is Sunday night. Uh, you're going to be watching it or you're going to be uh, doing well, something I've, else? I've still kind of been on my boycott of uh, – yep of professional sports for a while. I mean, if I'm sitting in the, in, in the, if I'm at Park Avenue pizza, getting a, a beer ski in a pizza or whatever, and they happen to have it on, uh, I guess I'm, I'm watching then. But as far as my home, my home TV has yet to be turned on to any sporting events. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I am boycotting it, but to an extent where, like I have it on, I might have a radio on, or I might have a TV on, but I'll be walking by it, and I, I'm not really watching it. I'll just check to see, let's say, how many yards Rogers had or Adams has or whatever, you know. But not sitting down and, and watching it religiously. So, uh, and if I'm out in the garage putzing around in the backyard, I might have the radio on just to know what the score is, you know. But uh, as far as sitting down and watching the whole game for three and a half hours. No, no, not anymore. No. So anyway, um, I was going to talk a little deer hunting. Is that okay, okay, Tom? Yeah, good. So I, I could have, I could have shot a deer last week if I uh-huh. wanted to shoot a deer. At least I would have got a shot at a deer. I, uh, I went up, uh, I went up to kind of help help a guy uh, put some stands up, and a uh, couple of things that is interesting. Um, there, were, there were a bunch of deer coming out onto a field, uh, farm field, every night, a whole bunch of them. So uh, we put a ground blind there, and we put it in a row of trees where, it, you know, it would be, you know, less conspicuous. But, you know, it was amazing the deer that came popping out onto the field, and what's the first thing they look at? The ground blind. The ground blind. <laughs> I mean, I saw deer from 200 yards away, uh, and I wasn't hunting. He was actually sitting in the blind, and I was up at the farm with the binoculars watching. There were deer, seven, eight deer, 200 yards away, and they all kept turning and looking at that blind. So lesson number one, for deer hunters, because uh, a lot of people will buy those pop-up blinds and will be using them for gun season. Don't go up there and put it out right before gun season. Don't put it up the day before. 
get it out there a month before and let those guys let those let those puppies get used to it because right. they notice it and it's kind of like uh it, it's kind of like um well my buddy scott used to say it best he said you know if you you walk in your living room and your wife moved the couch from one side to the other change something and you walk in and you stand there and you're like something's different something's different i don't know what but it's different you just notice something different and that's pretty much kind of the the thing with the deer you know where shoot i you know i've seen squirrels all of a sudden you're in a tree stand the squirrel looks up and they're like what is that i've never seen that there before so get them out there and get them out there early uh also we had a listener asking about scent you know how to try and be as scent free as possible and i mentioned you can buy the laundry detergent free and clear uh you can go buy i think arm and hammer makes a odorless uh unscented uh deodorant and, and of course you can buy the stuff that's labeled and packaged specifically you know for deer hunters but i think you can get by a little bit cheaper just by buying some of these normal brands uh but the other thing too a lot of people like to use skin cream and a lot of times skin cream smells like cocoa butter or whatever and i've got dry hands dry skin i have to use uh lotion all the time but uh if you go to my favorite store tom the dollar tree store and you can get what they call diabetics hydrating lotion now why why they call it diabetics i don't know uh maybe diabetics are known to have dry skin i don't know but anyway it's dry skin relief and it's fragrance free um so this is the only type of um skin cream that i will use from this point out through the deer season because i'm trying to avoid you know as many you know scents as possible also if you're throwing your stuff in the dryer for gosh sake after you've washed it with the free and clear detergent Make sure your wife doesn't leave one of those stupid fabric softener things in the dryer that's going to make it smell all flowery. Right. Kind of defeats the purpose. Hey, you know, speaking of uh, scents, uh, I, I, I think I told you this before, but that was years ago that the first time Dan Small, when we were doing the show Outdoor Wisconsin, the first time he did a deer hunting segment, he went through all the proper stuff of keeping uh, his, his clothing scent-free and himself. And he was up in a tree stand. The only problem, though, is that at the bottom of the tree stand was three people, a field producer, a videographer, and a sound engineer. Two of the three were smoking cigarettes. Do you think Dan saw any deer that day? <laughs> I, you know, prob- probably not. You nope, know, nope, he didn't. S- speaking of smoking cigarettes... Years ago, some of the old timers would sit in the woods on a stump, and they actually claimed that the smoke—they'd have a cigarette. They said it didn't bother the deer at all. Uh, in fact, there used to be stories that if you, even if you lit a little fire, didn't bother them. Uh, I think the theory might have been that back in the day there were a lot of logging camps up in the north woods, so maybe oh, the deer yeah, got sure. yeah. yeah deer deer might get you know the deer might get uh, used to it but i'll tell you one time tom and then we'll probably be going to break in a couple minutes and then don't forget we got our great door county segment coming up uh for our last 15 minutes to a half hour with uh, dale strohsheim so that'll be coming up but uh one time scent actually helped my brother uh he uh, was hunting in a marsh in oshkosh up in a tree all morning long didn't see squat so anyway he, he had to take a dump 
So he climbed down the tree and doing his business. And all of a sudden, he looks and 50 yards downwind of him, this doe stands up and is staring right in his direction. So evidently, you know, I guess it was a real stinky one. Evidently, it got that doe right out of its bed. So with his pants still around his ankle, he stood up, grabbed his shotgun, dropped the doe. Oh, God. Put the shotgun down, went back, finished his business, and uh, went over and got his deer. Oh, my so, goodness. I'm sure that thing, I'm sure that deer thought, P-U, oh, what's that? <laughs> Stood up. That's a, that's a story and a half. Well, so you never know. That's right. Well, coming you up never... next, like Danny said, we got Dale Strohshine. You'll be calling in from Door County. And I guess he had a, a really good outing with John Gillespie that you'll be able to watch uh, today or tomorrow, depending cable or regular TV. And so stay tuned, folks. Dale Strohshine, Strohshine is going to be right here on the Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors with him, Dan Bush, me, Tom Neubauer, and Sam. You be nice to him. Okay, we'll be right back, folks. Okay, welcome back to Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. Uh, we thank everybody for listening to us, and uh, once again, uh, hopefully you're getting ready to get out on fishing, hunting on this beautiful weekend. But right now, joining us from beautiful Door County, God's country, uh, we've got Mr. Dale Strohsheim. So good morning, Dale. Good morning, guys. Yeah, good morning, Dale. Yeah, th- uh, thank- how's thanks. How's the weather for- up there by you? Uh, right now we got overcast, and uh, it's pretty calm. And I'm just getting ready to leave here when I get done with you guys and go out on either a walleye or a smallmouth uh, guided trip. So I just got to make that decision when I get down there. You know, Danny was telling us that you had a a really good uh, outing with John Gillespie that's going to be airing this weekend. But don't you always do well? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's uh, it's funny you say that because We've many of times over all the years have had a very, I would say, unique chemistry. And, um, yeah, we, uh, we, we were out on a, uh, did a smallmouth, and that's actually going to be airing, like you said, I think today or tomorrow. And, uh, but we weighed in on a scale on TV this time, uh, a five pound, 10 ounce, a five pound, two ounce, and a five pound smallmouth. So those were all caught in the same day. And, uh, and then we had multiple fish over four pounds, so it was just an outstanding day. And uh, the the neat thing about it is we had some uh, some winners on there from Baitmate, and uh, they were contest winners. And the young man uh, that was fishing with us, Jake, at 17 years old, caught his biggest smallmouth of his lifetime, and uh, so that really was uh, made the the trip even more special. Now, Dan was mentioning earlier, we were talking about the smallies in the Bay of Green Bay. Um, do you think a lot of people are keeping the smallies? You know, um, it's, 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 uh, that's kind of a, 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 an odd answer, but it's an inter- interesting question, I would say, because, you know, there, we, we've worked very hard, you guys know, to educate the angler and the, the listener to, you know, release the smallmouth because 
they're really not considered table fare. And I always tell people, because people ask me, you know, how come you don't eat them? And I said, well, typically if you can find any, you know, menu in the state of Wisconsin or anywhere that serves smallmouth, you know, maybe we'd have a different discussion. And um, But anyhow, you know, the smallmouth, I always try to educate the angler to make sure that they release those fish. And uh, But some people are keeping them. And I get it. You know, there's it's a fish you can eat. You can eat a lot of different fish. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's just part of the sport. You know, I mean, I hate to see it. I look at these smallmouth like my kids and uh, try to protect each one of them uh, as best I can. I mean, if I lose a fish or I get a gut hook fish, I'm, I just, I'm sick about it for, you know, a day or two. It just bothers me because I know these resources, you know, a lot of times, us, the anglers, look at this all this masses of gallons of water, and we're like, well, we can't possibly hurt this population of fish. Well, that's not the case, and we've proven that now time and time again, that we can hurt these fisheries, and we have to use just good judgment when we're out there fishing. Say, Dale, um, one of the reasons it kind of comes up is, uh, you know, I, I get emails, and I've got contacts, friends that do a lot of bass fishing, and and there's been some rumblings, rumblings up there in the in the in the Door County area, uh, Sturgeon Bay area, that uh, you know that the bass fishing is starting to go downhill. Uh, that maybe they need some more regulations. As you know, they uh, changed the Mink River uh, this this year. I believe that started where that didn't open till the middle of June to protect the spawners. So I'm guessing that maybe they're considering maybe doing something to protect spawning bass, maybe a size limit like they did up in uh, Shaquamican Bay. I understand there's a uh, going to be DNR, some DNR guys and guides might be doing a, a Zoom meeting in October. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on the health of the fishery? I mean, you've been there your whole life. You'd know more than anybody. Well, you know, and thank you for that. I, I kind of take that as a compliment, so thank you for that. Um, you know, and the thing I would say with that, is this, you know, everything everything we do in, in hunting and fishing kind of goes through cycles and um, and changes. And, uh, you know, when I when I first started fishing here, you know, the, the evolution, let's just go through the evolution of this fishery a little bit uh, as quick as I can. You know, when I first started fishing here, we saw a lot of small fish. And uh, it, was, it was unusual to see something in that four-pound range. But we saw, you know, many, many, many of small fish and uh, we could do, you know, sometimes 50, 60, you know, and some guys claim to do 100-plus fish days. But out of, when, when we had that fishery, you know, many of those fish were much smaller. Um, you know, now what we're looking at is we're not seeing quite the recruitment, uh, that's for sure. Um, I can look at, like, Riley's Bay, which is a neighboring bay to where I live, I used to be able to go in there on any given day, throw a twister tail on a jig on a straight retrieve, and I could catch probably 20, 30 fish in there that weren't over 12 inches. Now I could go in there today and probably not catch 20 to 30 fish over 12 inches all year, um, which is a little bit alarming. And uh, but, but looking, you know, I've attended each one of these DNR studies. Uh, they've had two meetings now with us in November, the last couple of years, which I've attended. And what I came out of those meetings with uh, is this. When we had high water tables uh, back 
back in the, the heydays when these guys were doing 50 and 60 fish days, um, you know, and, and like they said, sometimes 100, uh, what was what was going on is we had great recruitment, and it was all it was all during our high water years. And what they're attesting to that was when we get these high water tables like we do currently now, we create more bull rush. There's more bull rush that uh, grow up on the on the shallow water areas, weedy areas up in the shallow water that we don't have under low water conditions. And uh, so I guess kind of what I'm hoping is that we're going to see that same trend that we saw from all their statistics and all the years they've been tabulating information that we're going to see a, lot, a real strong recruitment, a lot of recruitment years uh, coming up because right now we have a high water table. I do see all the bull rushes up in those areas because they were showing us videos as they were snorkeling of all these hundreds and hundreds of smallmouth bass that were up in these areas that are kind of sanctuaries, if you, if you will, where they were able to uh, develop and survive and uh, where predator fish couldn't find them. And that's why we had these strong recruitment years and why we've got the fishery we've got today with five, six, sevens, and even some eight-pound smallmouths. So we've done pretty good throughout all these years. And just to kind of maybe ease the listener, I mean, this year when I was out uh, smallmouth fishing, this was my best year that I can recall of my smallmouth fishing, I almost went two straight months scaling fish on the scale over five pounds every single day uh, that I ran a trip. And that's pretty incredible. Now, are we not seeing some of these juvenile young fish coming up? Yes, absolutely. That does alarm me a little bit, but here's what I would tell you. When we go up north to Sister Bay, Ephraim, uh, Ellison Bay, we've got very deep water up there. A lot of those bays aren't the most conducive for these fish to go up in and spawn in. And uh, so what they these fish end up doing is they spawn out on Sister Shoal. They spawn out by Adventure Island. And when they're spawning, they're spawning in much deeper areas where the angler can't see them. And uh, these fish are having great you know, recruitment years up there. I can go up there right now in Sister Bay and go along any one of those shorelines and catch many, many of smallmouths that are eight, nine inches, which obviously are, you know, natural reproduction fish from, you know, from good spawning. And uh, so that's holding up very well up there. And one of the suggestions I made to them at the, at the first meeting we went to was closing one of the bays here in, uh, in our local area, either Little Sturgeon, Riley's Bay, Sawyer Harbor, Sand Bay, like they've done now on the Mink River and like they've done up by Washington Island, and then close one of the bays up north uh, in the middle of the peninsula so that these fish can be left alone during the spawn. And they've, they've heard me because last year when we went to the meeting, I didn't bring it up. They brought it up. So they've definitely heard that, and I think it would be a great suggestion. Well, Dale, we got to make we got to take a quick commercial break, and if you'll please hold on, we got a few more questions for you. Okay? Oh, not a problem, guys. All right, we're we're talking with Dale Strohshine uh, from Sand Bay Beach Resort up there in Door County, and also a Hall of Fame angler. So stay tuned, folks. We got more to come in our last segment of the Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors.
Welcome back to the Skibber Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. I'm Dan Bush along with Tom Newbauer, Sam on the boards. Thank you, Sam, for all your hard efforts as producer. And we got Dale Strohshine on the line. And man, time's flying whenever we talk to you, Dale. Um, but let's talk about some fun stuff now. You uh, filmed a great show with John. And uh, I'm going to be going up there meeting my brother today to maybe troll the ship canal for some pike, but we might try chucking for some smallies. Can you tell us what were you doing to catch those smallmouth with John? Um, yeah, no problem, Dan. Uh, so what we did the other day is uh, a lot of those fish came on, you know, uh, Ned rigs. So we were working real slow along the bottom, as I like to refer to as polishing the rocks. And uh, kind of a real finesse bite. You know, and one thing the, the for the listener here is when you're coming up here, you know, I mean, um, if you got a calm day going to a finesse bite, you know, with the Ned rigs and the drop shot and stuff like that is always going to be your best, uh, your best option. If you get a little chop on the water, uh, this is where you want to go over to more of a reactionary strike stuff. So this, you know, cast and retrieve, like uh, we got a number of fish up there the other day on uh, clacking wraps, so which is a lipless bait. Um, you know, some type of lipless bait can work really, really well just on a slow, straight retrieve. If you're throwing out over deep water, maybe use a little bit of a count, deep water meaning like uh, up to 15, 20 feet of water. Sometimes what I'll do then is I'll throw the bait out, maybe count to 10 or 15, and then start retrieving it so I keep that presentation longer in the strike zone on that length of that retrieve. And... Uh, so they came on clack wraps. Some came on swim baits. Um, we were throwing uh, 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 different swim baits, uh, four to six inches in length, and uh, just again on a straight retrieve. Most of those fish, Dan and Tom, came in depths from uh, where we were uh, was anywhere between six to maybe ten feet of water. But in the channel there, what you're probably going to want to do, Dan, if you're coming up and looking for smallies is just get up against those pylons by the bridge embankments, and then uh, work those areas in and around there. Uh, any of the buoys in the channel, there's weights and big weights on the bottom of those uh, cans, of the buoys. Uh, go up there and drop shot up against those. And then you've got right downtown Sturgeon Bay by the old drawbridge. You'll have uh, one of the uh, marinas right there with a big peninsula sticking out into the water, and there's a resort on the other side with a big peninsula sticking out into the water and work in and around that area. And then right along Dunlop's Reef, which is kind of going to the west of the channel, those would be odds-on favorites for me if I'm going to come up there and try to catch some smallmouth or even some walleye, um, as well as, you know, those pike that you're going after, which is uh, we're known for up here, you know, big giant pike. Uh, in the channel and then along the little sturgeon area, either trolling or jigging. You know, you know i got a quick question for you. Do you think there's too many uh, tournaments uh, being held on the Bay of Green Bay? <laughs> Tom, you want you... Loaded question. <laughs> well, yeah, well, too many tournaments on the Bay of Green Bay. Um, well, you know, honestly, I'm a tournament angler, Tom, so it's, that's that's a tough question. Um, I would like to see them. Uh, I would say watch when they're actually having the events. Um, that would be my concern, and that's been my concern from day one. Whether it's here or anywhere in the in the Midwest, is 
using good judgment on when you're having tournaments when they're not going to, you know, open themselves up to any mortality or hurting the fishery from, you know, potential reproduction is, would be the best way that I can answer that. Um, politically correct, I would say. Uh, you know, so are they having a few too many tournaments? Um, they may be just because, like I said, we're running a lot of them up here in the heart of the spawn, and uh, that's definitely, I think, has had a little bit of an impact on things. But I'll tell you what, this fishery has held up magnificently, uh, considering, and kudos to the guys up here with the DNR, because I think they've done a great job. When you take into consider the amount of, uh, you know, people that come here to fish this time and damn. Now, Dale, you uh, you don't only fish. You've, you're multi-species and walleyes as well. Maybe you can tell our listeners a little bit about your resort services, uh, if they can still book with you this fall and, and kind of, you know, give a little pub for yourself here. Well, and, and, and you know what? That's great, and I appreciate that, Dan. Um, guys, you know, yeah, the resort is, you know, my, my folks own that property. Um, I took over in 98, built a brand-new facility, tore everything down, put everything under one roof. We've got suites here. All of our rooms have got, you know, full kitchens. Uh, and then other ones have just a – I shouldn't say all of them. We've got, we've got some that have just a microwave and then an undercounter of the refrigerator. And then our one-bedrooms have a full kitchen with a range, you know, and an oven and, you know – full-size refrigerator, hot tubs. So it's a great spot for the family to come up and relax. We've got an indoor pool, big sauna, uh, a whirlpool downstairs, and then we've got a big game room upstairs. And then, you know, I've got two great guides working underneath me, one who you know very well, Dave Olson. Uh, I brought Dave Olson in down there from Pewaukee, Wisconsin. What a great individual he's been, an asset to my business. Um and uh, he's my musky guru. He's done very well for us this year, both with the smallmouth and the walleye and then Mark Jackson. So we have a full service, you know, with our guide service. And the one thing about us with guiding, and I've instilled in both of my guys that work underneath me right now, is, you know, we don't run dock to dock. So when we take the customer out fishing, um, you know, if you book a six-hour trip, we make sure that we give you more than ample time. We don't just take off at, uh, you know, 1 o'clock from the dock and return to the dock at 7 and say, well, there's your day. Have a good day, guys. You know, because too many times you'll get out on a day where you're running around, and the last hour or last 40 minutes you finally find the fish, which is going to change the day, and now you got to go in. Well, that's not going to happen with us. As a matter of fact, if we have a tough day, with Wacky Walleye Guide Service, whether it's me, Dave, or Mark, uh, we will always make it right by giving the customer discounts to come back and uh, never charging them a full price, you know, when they come back the next time because we know that everybody works very hard for their money. And our model here with Wacky Walleye is it always should be harder to lose a customer than to ever gain one, and that's only by treating the customer with the utmost dignity and respect. Well, Dale, we do appreciate you taking the time to come on the show with us today. And uh, best of luck on your uh, outing today. And I'm looking Thank forward you. to watching you, John Gillespie, tomorrow. Yeah. All right, Tom and Dan. Listen, guys, you guys do a great job. Sam back there on the boards, man. Kudos to him as well. You know, it's people like yourself, Dan and Tom, that really uh, complete this circle for us, you know, with anglers. 
and helping educate and getting people on some great fights. So thank you guys for all that you do as well. All right. All thanks, right. Dale. Good luck fishing today. All righty. All right. Thanks, guys. Okay. Bye now. Well, Sam, what do we got left? Another minute or so? Yeah. See, I got the headphones, so I know Tom. You do? <laughs> he whispers in my ear. Yeah, yeah. See, I don't get that. Yeah. Yeah. We got time. We got time. Um, just uh, real quick, we were talking with Dale Strosheim, Wacky Walleye's Guide Service, uh, Sand Bay Resort up there in Dork County. Uh, I know some of our listeners booked with him after listening this spring. So if any of you folks out there are looking to do some fabulous Door County fishing, please give Dale a call. Tell him you heard about it on the Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. Yeah, I agree. Well, Danny, uh, this is another week in the books. And uh, looking for, you know, I'm going to try to do a little shore fishing this week. If all I, right. If, if, if the weather is nice enough. so. Gotcha. Yeah, we so got 10 seconds. Got. Okay, that's all I got. To all the listeners, thanks for listening. And God bless and stay free, everyone. You've been listening to Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. Talk to you all next week, my friends. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.